Hi, and welcome to The Truth Perspective on the SAT Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and with me this, this week as usual, or as is sometimes the case, Neil Bradley. Hey, everyone. And we also have Harrison Keeley. Hi. And Corey. Hello, everybody. Corey doesn't have a second name. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Um, it's too spiritual for a second name. Exactly. <laughs> He only needs one. Um, Saint Cory. Yes. <laughs> Saint Cory of Caesarea. Um, oh, thank you. So this week we, uh, we're going to be talking, having a little kind of a chat um, that you all can listen into <laughs> uh, on spirituality in general. Um, and... The reason for this is because, well, I mean, spirituality for most people is closely tied to the idea of religion because religions, uh, mainstream religions seem to have uh, cornered the market a long time ago. They have a bit of a monopoly uh, as far as most people are concerned in terms of the number of people on the planet, let's say. They have a bit of mon- a monopoly on, on spirituality. So if you ask someone what spirituality is, It'll probably refer you to some religion or other. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, those kind of things. And um, But the problem is that we tend to have a different, and it seems obvious to us, and I think it, would be, it should be obvious to anybody who, uh, who really looks at it in any, in any in-depth kind of way, that the idea of spirituality is really, would have to be much more, um, or much, is much broader, or should be much broader, or almost by definition, by definition, is much broader than uh, merely, you know, a, a set of a simple set of uh, rules by which you live your life and you go to church or the mosque or a synagogue or a temple once a week, and uh, and that's it. You know that um, uh, by that definition or by the way that people practice religion uh, and therefore spirituality today is is fairly. Uh, restricted, limited, and doesn't seem to offer uh, very much at all when you consider the fact that the idea of spirituality, um, as we understand it, and, and as we'll probably talk about, uh, touches all aspects of a person's yeah. life. It is Religion ends up being static, right? which in a dynamic world means it'll never quite fit, right? no matter how close it comes at any one point. Right. Do you look at Christianity, for example, and you're talking about uh, a set of guidelines uh, technically, if you wanted to get to the core of Christianity, uh, uh, which is inherited from the New Testament, let's say, uh, even though you have a New Testament inherited from the Old Testament, or whatever, but you know, Christianity, the first people probably think of would be Jesus and the Ten Commandments, uh, <laughs> even though those two <laughs> things officially would be kind of separated by quite a long uh, period of time. Um, 
and they effectively are kind of two slightly different versions of Christianity, but most people know the Ten Commandments, and they think, Christianity, you know, live your life by the Ten Commandments, which were supposedly given by God to Moses, what, three, four, five, twenty thousand, I don't know, lots of time ago. Um, and what the problem is, Neil was just saying, is that surely, or maybe this, maybe this is a good question to start with, is would a set of rules like the Ten Commandments that were given thousands of years ago, supposedly, or made up thousands of years ago, would they be relevant to people in a modern world? So, well, what are the Ten Commandments again? <laughs> uh, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, they're all something yeah. like being good, let's, let's not being bad. Go ahead. Okay. Um, just give me a second. got to Google this because we'll find out if what? they're still relevant. I thought you were because a Christian. I, I haven't memorized the, the, the Ten Commandments. Um, okay, well, let's just take a, a little random sampling of the Ten. Um, oh, just wait. This is difficult. <laughs> God, you can't, tell well, me you can't the, find the Ten Commandments kill, on Google. Right? Huh? Okay. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. It. Right. What about during a war? Or what if you're being attacked? Right. Do you just uh, let yourself be killed? Mm. Okay, you go just on, tell that other person, thou shalt not kill. Mm. Well, but then, like, uh, well, if you just think about it in terms of, like, okay, well, just there's a couple more. So, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor thy mother and thy father. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't be telling lies. Don't covet. Don't, don't be, covet don't, your don't, neighbor's don't, house. Don't want. Don't want stuff. <laughs> don't. don't want stuff. Um, thou shalt not co- covet your neighbor's servants, animals, or anything else. Oh yeah, that's really. And relevant. you shall erect these stones which I command thee upon Mount Gerizim. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's perfectly relevant today. <laughs> because, you know, everybody knows where Mount Gerizim is. And uh, they have easy access to it. And also, the problem is that people really... It's, it's, it must be hard for people to live by those commandments because everybody wants to uh, create graven images. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's people right now everywhere around the world toiling away Bad. in secret. Yeah, yeah, graven images. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, not really very relevant. Even the language that it's written in. The fact that that would still be presented to people as a way to okay, well, basically, if you can't, if you don't want to get too much into Christianity, but you want to be a Christian, just follow these rules, these Ten Commandments. Yeah, not very, not very useful. Um, then you have the New Testament. Jesus, ask someone about Jesus. If they're not, unless they're in the in the minority, extreme minority of people who are really into, um, I mean, in terms of the total world population who are into the nitty gritty of Christianity, even the New Testament and Jesus and stuff. Um, the general concept around Jesus is uh, love your... It's kind of like uh, the Old Commandments, or the, te- the, the Ten Commandments, but, um, you know, X plus, or, or, you know, souped up, or with a bit of extra lovey-doveyness, basically love everybody, turn the other cheek, you know. Um, there's not... I mean, am I missing something? Is there? Is there some meat <clears throat> in, in, the, in the New Testament or the teachings of Jesus that really... Make set them apart from those basic ideas of the Ten Commandments. 
in terms of what people can practically do other than just live a good life, be good, don't be bad, uh, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, uh, pray to Give Jesus. your mind to the poor type kind of thing. Oh, yeah, right. Give some money to the poor. There's some basic tenets there that are all... I mean, I thought about this quite a long time ago, and it's that um, those kind of things are obviously not... I mean, I would have assumed that, um, at least at certain times in history, that those basic ideas would have evolved or grown naturally from any kind of a community, you know, as a way for the community to... Uh, the best way it can survive or, or can have a... Uh, be a... Uh, be successful, let's say, and to avoid conflict, avoid bad things happening. You would drop a list of rules that would be fairly similar to the Ten Commandments and might even touch on some of the things that Jesus said. So rather than this coming from some inspired, uh, you know, heavenly or deity of some description that beforehand was inaccessible to ordinary human beings, it's kind of the other way. It seems to me that these would be normal or, or natural basic uh, ideas about how to live your life if anybody decided to listen, even on a practical level, how do we all get on and not have fighting and killing mm-hmm. and that kind of thing? Well, you would drop a, a list of these things and uh, and it seems that then religion came along and co-opted those basically ideas. You know, so it, for me it kind of, it's not really uh, those basic ideas and anything that, I, that I've that i read in the New Testament or in even the Old Testament, but um, none of it uh, is very appears to be very divine or inspirational in the sense of that a human being wouldn't very easily enough come up with those ideas themselves. So it, it doesn't really well, argue th- for a, a deity or a god or a supernatural force, you know. No, but I, th- I think one thing to, to keep in mind, and you already hinted at it, is context. So you brought it up in the, in the context of how relevant are you know, some commandments, some rules or laws that were written like thousands of years ago today. Mm. And but one thing to consider in terms of context is that in ancient societies, as far as we know, there was there never existed a, a like what we would think of as a non-religious society. So everything that we consider as like juris, jurisprudence or, you know, a legal system or social social norms or behaviors were always like intimately tied with the um, like religious framework that we'd view today. And again, I say like what we'd view as religious today, because back then you they didn't think in terms of religion. It was just, it was just, that was part of the, just the everyday way of life is that those so-called religious beliefs. So I think that there's a, there's a couple different dynamics going on here. And one is, exactly what you said, that these are pretty standard basic things that would crop up in any society. Now, I think that the, that the, the problem is as, as religion has developed and, you know, cause you originally had Judaism and various different types of Judaism and then Christianity came along and said, okay, well, we have now inherited the, the, the Jews specialness. We are now the chosen people. And so we're going to inherit their books. And then for the past 2000 years, we've had this, Christian um, Christian system that's been based on the Jewish system, which has, um, well, as time's gone on and we've developed now with the with the, the Renaissance and the the scientific um, enlightenment, we've developed this now secular society 
So now we've got this division that didn't exist a long time ago, and we look back in time and we say, okay, well, here are these social rules that actually work, but they were actually God's rules and because that's how they're presented in the Old Testament with Moses. And so now we've got this this view of, of these these rules as as explicitly and necessarily religious and based in the divine, when if you just look at them with common sense like you're doing, they're just common sense, a lot of them. In a society, I mean, you... you Societies tend to operate with certain rules, and if we look at um, American society as secular or non-secular as, as it is, the legal system at least it isn't written in terms of a holy book that God has has given the Americans. But there right. are things like there are certain rules about murder, right. and about and and certain rules about things that aren't talked about in in the Old Testament, like like rape or sexual assault and mm-hmm. just all kinds of different crimes and things that, that you shouldn't do. And that so, and that society will sanction you for if you do do. So this and brings up, so, right. That <clears throat> brings up uh, an interesting point, which is <clears throat> at the core of this need for religion or, or whatever, um, is really a need for authority in a person's mm-hmm. life, a set of rules, uh, by which you should live and that are in some way enforced under, you know, some kind of, let's say, punishment of, uh, of some description, like there's some motivation for you to encourage people to live by these rules. So it's basically a set of rules to structure society so that people can get on with each other and society can flourish and not be, not have, you know, the idea that you have to kind of constrain or put some constraints on certain aspects of human nature, otherwise people won't get on and it'll be bad news for everybody. So it's basically mm-hmm. an authority that people... Look to which is maybe why uh, so many people tend to put their put their or, or pledge their loyalty to the state, uh, to a government, mm-hmm. to a state, and almost deify. You see this most particularly in like in the U.S., where for some people the idea of uh, or the the government, for example, the the American government, some people look to the government and see the government as almost a uh, in a similar way, they would uh, think about uh, religious deity because it provides security and a, a set of rules to live your life by and enforces them. So, I mean, that seems to me that it's fulfilling a very basic, uh, not only something that has been uh, existed throughout human society, but it's something that's quite fundamental, almost a fundamental need within human beings for to have an authority in their lives that, you know, it's kind of like, I'm no good on my own. Uh, I need someone or something in, in my life that's more powerful than me uh, that I can look to for protection and to govern the details of my life. And I think that's that's probably true to a large extent with, if you take a just this random large segment of a population, and if you place them in a situation where there are no rules and where pretty much anything goes I think we can see kind of where that leads in American in American society today, where the norms and values have changed to such an extent that it's just considered normal to be a jerk, basically. And that, like, mm. look at how much popular support Donald Trump has. I mean, here's this reprehensible human being who shouldn't be a role model for anyone, and he's just got people, you know, cheering him on and idolizing this guy, who's a wretched human being on pretty much every level. Mm. And so when you take when you, but then when you put in a rule-based system, I mean, it's not going to, um, it's not going to, it's not going to be perfect, and it never has been perfect. 
And I don't even know any way of evaluating how good it is, but it seems to me at least that it's an idea that makes sense that you've got a whole lot of people who tend to make really poor choices if they're just set free on their own. Right. And kind of like children. And so, yeah, like children. So you set some boundaries and you set up some rewards and punishments and you hope that, that things don't just fall apart completely. Right. Yeah. And so, I think that for a lot of people, religion is like that central axis that their, their life could revolve around. And it does kind of play that role as the mother or father, you know, giving the, the rules that it gives them an idea of, you know, certainty in a world of chaos. Um, in the book, uh, The Sacred and the Profane, Mircea Eliad says that uh, when he talks about sacred space in terms of like temples and festivals and things that people can go to to feel a sense of, you know, what is sacred, quote unquote. And he says, revelation of a sacred space makes it possible to obtain a fixed point and hence to acquire orientation in the chaos of homogeneity, hmm. to found the world and to live in a real sense. The profane experience, on the contrary, maintains the homogeneity and hence the relativity of space. No true orientation is now possible for the fixed point no longer enjoys a unique ontological status. It appears and disappears in accordance with the needs of the day. So it's kind of like that idea of remaking the world, you know, every Sunday or something when people go to church and they get an idea of, okay, so this is how I should live. You know, my life has meaning. And, you know, I know that when I die, I'll go to heaven because I'm doing these things. And and so I'm going to continue doing these things. These are the rewards and the punishments. And this is how I'll live my life. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, uh, it's something I've thought about quite a lot. And I've always come to the same conclusion when I look at ordinary human beings and stuff and the way, kind of what we've just been discussing. It seems to me that most human beings on this planet are pretty much like children. Uh, because uh, I think Harrison, you, maybe it was Corey, drew the, uh, made that analogy of, of, of it basically being like a religion being or an authority being like a, a parent. And mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it is, if, if, if an authority or a religion or a deity or whatever, it fulfills this more or less the same uh, role or plays the same role as parents do to a child. That kind of says that human beings, adult human beings, are all just adult children in, in, <laughs> in, in a significant way. I mean, sure, they're adult enough in the sense that they can make some decisions on their own, but they still look to, like, and I mean, you see this repeatedly, I mean, and this is where it kind of, uh, you know, you get into problems where people will... Uh, you know, allow the state to do whatever it wants, will support a leader, will support a, Harrison, you just mentioned Donald Trump, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of the evidence that this person is not fit, not a good human being and is leading the country or, or leading the people to support war and killing and death. And people will just, when it comes down to it, they will continue to support that authority because it's the authority. In the same way a child will we'll find it very difficult and will almost never turn around and say, you know, mom and dad, I may be only six years old, but, you know, I don't agree with your policies and I'm out of here and hit the road. <laughs> They're not going to do that because they totally, because they don't feel secure. I mean, a child would not do that because it, it's not, it realizes it's not capable of shouldering that responsibility of going out into the world and making decisions for itself and, and taking on, you know, being a sovereign individual uh, apart from being their own, being their own authority, I suppose is what I'm saying. Uh, kids can't do that because they realise they're vulnerable. Adult human beings seem to have the same innate kind of understanding 
and it's probably lar- it's largely unconscious for, for most of them, that they need this parental slash authority figure in their lives to take care of the big stuff. Uh, what the big stuff is, I don't know, what people seem to feel innately, viscerally, that there is big stuff out there somewhere. And it's not just in their normal lives because they go out and they deal, they live normal lives and they deal with issues and problems, but there's some perception of some other quote-unquote big stuff that they need an authority slash parental figure in their lives to take care of. Mm-hmm. Which, means it, the, which, the, means, which also means, and I just said it, kind of more or less the same thing, sorry, Corey, that uh, kids are vulnerable and open to being led astray by parents, by other adults, uh, in the same way a whole nation of people is can be led astray and manipulated and put into positions that aren't good for them by the, the, this authority figure that has fulfilled the same role as a parent. I think just I agree 100%. And in that context, you could say, you know, you could kind of define spirituality as that t- attempt, you know, to to mature in the sense that you can tackle those big problems for yourself, that you aren't, you know, on the inside, just a child lost in the, in the woods, you know, surrounded by wolves and Mm. who knows what else, but that, you know, deep down you have that security and that, that being, so to speak, that you could, um, that you can face reality as it is and you can make your own decisions. Right. Well, I think, I think we come up against a problem here and that we've got this this rule based approach to life, and yet there seems to be something, at least within a uh, a portion of the population, that feels that there's got to be more to it than that. That there that that it's there's got to be more to it than just following some rules. There's got to be something like deep that's going on, like that we might call something like personal evolution or the evolution of of humanity our own personal and collective spiritual evolution. And it's something just lacking about the rule-based system. And I I think, at least in my interpretation, this is kind of what I read into what the Apostle Paul was writing in, you know, the very beginning of Christianity, where he's talking about the the Torah. So exactly what we're talking about, like the Ten Commandments, and then all the other commandments and rules that are written into the Old Testament, which can go to ridiculous lengths, and even with some quite reprehensible things about, like you know, when a, fly, and, when a fly is walking up a wall on Sunday, you can't eat grapes. Yeah. Or or getting to things that seem a bit more serious where you have God commanding the, the Israelites to rape and pillage and kill everyone in all these different villages. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so, but just coming back to like the way that I read what Paul is saying is that you've got these commandments, these rule-based systems, but even if you follow all these rules, what do you get out of it? There's Again, there's something missing. So just as mm. an aside, that's, that, that's what I think that Paul's talking about. And to take it a bit further, um, if you just think about following rules, you've got these, it basically comes, comes down to some kind of ritual, but not even ritual because that's got too much religious connotation to it. It basically comes down to just like, just following this prescribed set of movements it's like okay well you do a so um if you want to go to heaven then you then you move your arm around you know semi in in semicircles counterclockwise at the same time you pat your belly 
And at the same time, you chant, I believe in Jesus Christ, and that's going to get you in heaven. Well, it's totally mechanical. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to it. Right. And um, just to look at it from another way, you think about just actions that you can take, act, following certain rules that might be perceived as good. Well, the, I was thinking about it the other night, and the, the example that just came into my mind is if, if you picture a couple, one of them, the guy, happens to be a psychopath. And if you read about what, what these types of relationships are like, if you read Sandra Brown's Women Who Love Psychopaths, there's a certain pattern that, fo- that tends to get followed, where the guy basically woos the woman. And so he does everything right. He gives her all kinds of attention. He finds out what she's interested in. He, like, uh, he'll give her presents, and he'll do everything to, to suck her in. And she, so technically, he's following all the rules. He's doing everything right. But at the same time, he's doing it for a totally ulterior motive. And as soon as he's got her hooked, then all of that stops. And then the abuse starts. Mm. And I kind of see the the Ten Commandments or any kind of rule-based system the same way, where you can follow certain rules and you can be perfect at those rules. And and you can have the appearance of being this totally righteous person. But on the inside, you can still be totally rotten. Mm -hmm. So what does following rules get you? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, it doesn't. Uh, I think when I mentioned previously the idea of people's adults' awareness of there being big stuff out there that they they're no they're not able to deal with and they need an authority or a parental figure to deal with them. I think uh, that's understandable because using the, this idea of there being ten simple rules to live your life by, I think people realize that they don't they don't work. Uh, because there's so many situations where it's nuanced and complex, you know, a particular uh, set of dynamics that is very difficult to figure out what you should and shouldn't do. And very often uh, what would apply in one situation <clears throat> as a rule, for example, <clears throat> would not apply or the opposite would apply in another situation. So I think it's an awareness, this idea of there being big stuff that they need someone to take the decisions on is, is an innate awareness among human beings that, there's, that, that things are very complex, that it's not easy to make decisions uh, as a human being, uh, particularly with, in certain situations uh, when you know, human emotions are involved. It all gets very complex. They're basically not... not um, people don't know themselves enough, I suppose, and have a, a handle on their own natures to be able to make decisions in a sovereign way without any authorities. They, they, they eagerly welcome uh, uh, an authority to make those decisions for them, and they also like to have it boiled down to very simple black and white things, even if they are aware that the reason they need an authority is because things aren't so black and white. But, of course, wishful thinking will say, well, it's just black and white. And, of course, that's, uh, that, 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 that you see the appeal of the black, black and white thinking and boiling things down to simple ideas when they're not really, when things are very complex in, uh, in the way that uh, kind of pathological governments uh, use um, all sorts of propaganda and lies to, uh, to manipulate people to get them to support what the government wants to do. Like, for example, Saddam's a bad man. Uh, well, I beg to differ, but if you look at the details... It was very. It was much more complex. For example, the Iraq War was ex- much more complex than Saddam simply being a bad man. Uh, and there's lots of evidence for evil that. Evil doers. Yeah, those we are the good guys. The evil doers. Well, yeah, evil doers, and you know, smoke them out of their rat holes and stuff. You know, we'll send in the the good guys on the white horses to get the bad guys and stuff. And and people like that, you know. So um, I think that that's kind of getting close to the the kind of problem, and and it gets back to that idea of people. 
being much like uh, children, um, adults all around the world being much like children. And it's very strange because they went through their childhood and they became adults, right? But how can they still be children? Well, it seems like it's another layer of evolution going on. And this is maybe spiritual evolution. One way to look at spiritual evolution is that, sure, there's a, there's a physiological evolution where you go, grow from childhood up to uh, adulthood. Uh, but there's a spiritual evolution that you could, in a certain sense, look at in the same way. It follows the same stages. Um, because, as we've just been discussing, children, you know, from obviously from from birth, they're totally taken care of, everything done for them. You could probably find some quite a lot of human beings who are kind of like almost like newborn infants, but they want society to do absolutely every everything for them with very little input from themselves, except just whatever's necessary to get the keep the food flowing. And I'll just lie back and suckle on the teat of life or society and do nothing. And then you've got kids who feel a bit more, you know, as they grow, they become a bit more independent. They start to want to be a bit more, you know, explore life a bit. Um, and they show a little bit more independence and interest and stuff, but they're still very afraid. As soon as they step too far outside the front door, they run back to mommy, you know. Uh, and, for, and so for kids on up through into teenage years and stuff, they all are very happy with a set of rules. They like the rules and they follow the rules, you know. They're quite, it's quite easy to impose rules on children and get them to follow rules, learn rules mm-hmm. and follow them, and they're happy with it because they realize, well, this organizes my life. But then you get to adolescence, and the classic situation in adolescence where uh, children or young ad- adolescents, whatever, 16, 17, 18, will start to say, screw your rules. I don't like your rules. Screw you, mom and dad. You don't know anything. And start to realize, you know, start fighting with parents in that whole problematic stage of, of development when, when kids, you know, teenagers are, you know, they're, they're breaking away from the life they've lived that has been very regimented into becoming their own people, becoming their own, you know, going out into the world, developing their own ideas and stuff, you know. And I think it's possible that, uh, that there is a stage of spiritual evolution where adults at whatever stage of adulthood, will begin to go through that stage where they start to kick off or start to rebel against um, those rules of society and start to see the flaws in them, see that they don't fit with their own values and start to try and develop their own values. But it's a scary time as well to have to do that because in the same way it's scary for an adolescent to have to go out and face the world on its own. It's scary for uh, an adult human being to throw off that kind of uh, um, sense of uh, an external authority ruling your life and telling you what to do and, and telling you how you should live your life and beginning to try and figure out how you should navigate and live your own life independent of any authority uh, and figure out your own values and stuff. And of course that kind of, you know, that can be difficult and, and, and a scary thing to do, as scary as it is for an adolescent, you know. Mm-hmm. And the kind of ironic thing about that, that kind of spiritual adolescence or spiritual puberty, is that when you go through that, often the the values that inspire that are often from the religion itself. And this is something Bob Altemeyer talks about in his in his books on atheism and conversion. Where he t- it's 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 ironic because religion will will say you know something like in gospel of john about the value of truth and so this is a big aspect of christianity at least on the surface this value of truth and then 
as you reach that point in your life and you say, well, wait a second, if I value truth, well, this doesn't seem true to me. There, you know, there's these contradictions here and this mm-hmm. just doesn't seem to make sense. And so, so you actually like you're, it's, it's self subversive, the, the Bible itself, because it'll, it actually can inspire people to reject the Bible based on some of the values that are actually in the um, Bible. apparently right in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that gets to, to something, uh, I think a direction we haven't gone yet in this discussion about, um, well, just these, these actual values and the nature of spirituality, because it seems like there's, there's something objective about it. And there, there, there's some kind of objective core doctrines that kind of maybe permeate some aspect of religion, but there are also all of these kind of secondary, um, doctrines that seem to have no basis in fact, or there's no way to verify them. But when you get down to it, like just something like the, the, the reality and importance of truth, there is something kind of really deep there that that goes beyond any kind of um, like um, what's the word? Well, just kind of inconsequential or just unverifiable, or you know, basically you can look at it like, well, what what's the name of of God and and what are his angels' names? It's like, well, does that even really matter? And there are so many religious doctrines that are essentially just that. It's like well, what's his name? Oh, well, how do you pronounce it? And okay, well, that's our religious doctrine. And it's like, well, who really, who cares? Does that really matter? Right. Where does he live? Yeah, where does he live? What's the name of the, what street does he live on? It's like, well, nah. Well, yeah, Yeah. when you, when you think about like an objective value that people have towards, uh, towards a religion, um, in terms of like modern day Christians and the ones who are very serious and would consider themselves very spiritually oriented towards their Christianity and try and live it the best they can. You know, I mean, you could, uh, you could probably argue with them, you know, till the cows come home about the origins of the Bible or, you know, try and yeah. prove, you know, whatever the big bang theory or, you know, evolution or, or whatever. But I mean, deep down, none of that necessarily matters to them in as much as what, probably they would say their personal relationship with Christ. Right. And I think on an emotional level that, you know, I think that a lot of them have to them, you know, it's, it's obviously very subjective, but to them, it is like an objective relationship with some higher power that gives them meaning and which, you know, they share with others in a community and which to them makes uh, their life meaningful and makes the lives of others meaningful so that they will sacrifice their time to go help the poor people or, you know, to do mm. volunteering or, you know, stuff that, you know, other people wouldn't, would just kind of look at what, what payoff do you get from that? Mm. You know, how, what, what do you get? You don't get paid to go do that stuff. But I mean, for these people, um, you know, for the ones who are very serious about it, that is the core of what they, you know, what they're living for. That is how they define themselves. And to them, you know, no matter, you know, you know, whatever atheist or agnostic or scientific doctrine you come up with, that would never ever be able to replace that kind of value that they have. Well, but, but even then, you know, like I, I can see some value in that, but I think coming back to, like to the point I made just before that about just the, the arbitrariness of the names, if you just use that word Christ, you know, my personal relationship with Christ, well, right there by putting that label on it, they've yeah. already excluded so many connections that they can make with any, with other people because even for people that are really serious about their Christianity and being a good Christian and having that personal relationship with Christ, they, they automatically in, in my experience or my view, they put themselves, you know, 
at odds with a person who might be doing exactly the same thing, who might be a Muslim or a Buddhist. So essentially, they're, they've got the exact same dy dynamic going on, but by using that word, by using Christ and not seeing the, the, just the essence of what they're doing, regardless of any of that surface stuff, they actually have a lot, a lot in common with someone from a completely different religion, and it sets up this artificial boundary. Mm -hmm. And right. I think that a lot of, that's what religious doctrines do, is they set up these boundaries and, this, and they, uh, like just these arbitrary notions of, of, of the nature of whatever they're doing that um, not only create those boundaries, but they also um, limit what, what, let's say, a Christian is doing and how, they, how they're perceiving reality by putting these limiting labels on what they're doing. And not only that, but just by having these artificial boundaries, as artificial as they are, that makes them easily, easily turns people into tools for other more unscrupulous individuals who would very, be very quick to turn that energy that they have to want to do good into, you know, okay, so now it's time to do, you know, go get the bad guys who are doing bad. And so then it comes back right back to the spiritual dynamic of being able to discern what's really happening and what is really good or bad regarding the situation. And I mean, and at that point, you know, the all talk about personal relationship with Christ is, you know, that's kind yeah. of just, uh, it's meaningless at that point. You know, if you've got a personal relationship with Christ and you're going to colonize the Americas and murder a bunch of people, murder, uh, murder a bunch of indigenous Americans, then, you know, so much. What do you think Christ is thinking of you at that point? Yeah. <laughs> What do you think when he looks down? It's like, God, what a bunch of morons. Good Lord. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Yeah. It's Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to, I mean, when I, when I look at like the, kind of, the things you've just been describing were, you know, someone who's, you know, has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or the, They've taken Jesus into their heart, you know, um, and and they live their lives based on that. You know, there are some people who do that uh, and who, who, like you just said, Corey, uh, that'll motivate them to go and help poor people and stuff, you know. Um, and it's kind of funny, you know, how they need that, uh, you know, to, 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 to do is to simply help someone else in need. It has to be on the basis of there being a deity someone in heaven that now lives also in your heart and <laughs> that's why I'm doing it as opposed to just doing it for because it's a good thing in and of itself to do you know I mean you recognize it as a good thing to do it's not because Jesus said it was you know, that's, the, that's the, the dividing line there it's you're doing this because Jesus said it was good to do and you have a relationship with Jesus he's your buddy and you respect him and you respect what he says and he says help the poor people so that's why you help the poor people. Now, mm -hmm. would you do that without Jesus? I mean, do you value, do you see any value in helping poor people if Jesus had never said to help poor people or would you not help poor people because Jesus didn't say so? Mm -hmm. uh, or I mean, if Jesus said don't help poor people, right, would you right. not help poor right. people? Would you, yeah, if, if you could rationalize that. I mean, I mean, now that's, that's the difference between the idea of just someone who follows a set of rules and will do whatever the authority tells them to do. And it's maybe even could be hit and miss depending on the way religion and religious teaching is twisted. It can be it can be hit and miss uh, whether or not they actually do something that is objectively good, like helping someone in need or beating someone up in need or stealing from someone in need. 
it, it could go either way with a person who simply is going to do what the authority told, told them to do. Um, but then you have other people who, you know, you could probably have some atheists out there who go and do good deeds because they decide that it's a good thing to do because yeah. they have decided for themselves. So that crucial point of being able to decide for yourself what is and is not a good thing uh, m- kind of marks the difference between a child, adult, and someone who is maybe pushing towards a, uh, being a, a, you know, an adolescent adult or a, uh, even a full adult, if you know what I mean, in a spiritual sense. And, and I kind of, for me anyway, the definition of, of spirituality, at least one of the definitions of spirituality for me is that ability to um, decide for yourself, to be your own, to some extent, to be your own authority, to at least cast off uh, the rigid set of rules from some made-up mythical deity that you follow, cast that off and develop your own sense, or even take some of those but make them your own, and, um, and, and live your life based on a set of values that is independent of anyone telling you to do, any God telling you to do them. Um, but then, of course, there's maybe along with that comes maybe a broad a, a, an understanding of a broader or a deeper sense of what uh, God is, or <clears throat> what kind of force or power or intelligence there is in the, in the universe in general. You know, I mean, it gets into very mm-hmm. um, kind of a hard to define terms at that point, and that's one of the advantages of religion because it's easy to define. It's, a, well, he's probably about 70, 70 year old man with a white beard and a white robe sitting on a cloud. <laughs> well, there's... That's, that's it. And he made the universe. We don't need to talk about the universe. He made it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a dynamic here that I, I'm seeing that kind of goes along with the, the idea of this rule-based system. And that's that it seems like even for these people who are, who are doing good things... Um, you know, like because of their personal relationship with Christ and Christ tells them to, to give to the poor and they, you know, they actually feel good doing it and they f- feel like it's a good thing. But, but like you said, Joe, what would they be doing that if Jesus didn't tell them to do that? You know, what are the, what are the exact things going on there? I think what these, what a lot of people in a religious context do is that they, they essentially put the theory before the practice. So they, they, they look at the theory and they say, okay, well, this is what's going on. This is how the universe works. This is how God works. This is how Jesus works. And so based on all these things, based on what Jesus says and all that, this is what I'm going to do. Whereas if we add in the, 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 the kind of personal, um, independent, autonomous choosing of the individual based on their own values, I think that's a more... Uh, organic way of approaching it where based on what you actually value you choose then how to act and what you are going to do um, that will align with those values and then from that i think that that suggests something about the nature of of the universe the nature of the cosmos and, and people and everything and that so basically the theory ends up coming out of the actual hard practice the actual facts on the ground the data of personal experience mm-hmm. and I think that that gets to that second aspect that you're talking about because you f- first you mentioned the 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 aspect of spirituality as kind of choosing for yourself and uh, and not based on any authority and uh, and external rules but if we just limit it to that that independent thing then really there's no difference be- between that kind of spirituality and the 
spirituality of, say, a psychopath who also totally rejects any kind of external authority or rule-based system and says, I'm just going to do what I want to do based on my own values, which mm -hmm. is essentially just me, what I want, etc. Right. So if we want, unless we want to say that's, that's, that, that's, that psychopaths are as spiritual as anyone else, and, you know, we could do that if we're defining the words, mm -hmm. but if we want to limit spirituality to something else, then there's, there's another aspect, and that has to do with what the, the practice of, of developing these values has to say about the wider nature of, of the cosmos and of reality. And I think one of the things, one of the directions that heads in is that when you're, when you develop the system of values and, and then you put it into practice in the world, I think I'd define a spiritual um, worldview as one that takes into account um, a wider sphere of influence than just your personal self. So right. this will include other people it, and it'll not just, I mean, and it, it, it goes, it expands further and further outward from, let's say just your, your partner, your lover to your family, um, to your community. And then if you expand that all the way out, I think that a lot of religious ideas have to do with the ultimate. So basically if what I'm doing is it good for the planet? Is it good mm. in, in and of itself? Is it good for everything? Like what, mm -hmm. what is the approach I'm going to take to, to life that has the most, um, it does the most benefit? Right. That, yeah. And has the most benefit to, right. to the, uh, the widest circle possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really interesting when you think about uh, spirituality in tribes, you know, early tribes and how the tribes seem to have its own spirit that, it's almost had like an own its own objective existence, you know, in like the Jungian sense, you know, the collective unconscious. And, you know, when you're in a world like we're living in now where everything is so scattered and fractured, I mean, you really can't see your spirituality as as being possible, you know, just by yourself. You can't just go practice your spirituality in a retreat somewhere, um, you know, and if you want to join an institution like the ones that are, you know, available to you, whether they're new age or, you know, the original monotheistic ones from thousands of years ago, those are all vectored in certain directions and you're probably not going to get where you, you know, where you want to go, where you're aiming to go, which is, you know, your own spiritual growth. Although, I mean, they might offer you some things along mm -hmm. the way and some, you know, suffering that would be useful uh, to draw on. But, you know, in, in, the, in the long run, I think, you know, it, it really does take a group that is devoted to, you know, just to that study, mm -hmm. to I that think, understanding, that that search. I think most truth truth seekers will disagree with you, Corey, because I think you're going to find most of them are attached to some organization, monastery, cause, some branch of a mainstream religion, some new age mishmash of things, some ashram in India some guru from India who travels in Europe. Oh, who's your guru? Oh, I was asked once, just on the basis, I, I, a complete stranger I met, and I just got talking um, with her and her husband that night, and just based on some of the, the things I was saying that were in no way connected with, you know, the deep stuff about, I think I was talking about politics and diet, chit-chatting, really. And she just interjected and went, hmm, who's your guru? Hmm. And she didn't mean it in a kind of searching kind of I got you now kind of way. She was asking me very matter of fact because she herself had a guru. I mean, she lived a regular Western life 
and there was some guy, I don't know, he might have himself been Western, whatever. He was connected with some group over in yonder in the east somewhere. And so I hear, yeah. So yeah, most people actually find something for some duration or other and it satisfies them. We're talking about a very few people who are never quite satisfied. They might try one and the other and the other and go, nope, nope. Or yes for a while, then Yes nope. for a while, then no. Change yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that, I think that's true. I mean, uh, I think there are very few people who, I mean, if we, I don't know if we haven't obviously distilled it down yet, but if we were to distill it down about what our understanding of spirituality is, I think there are very few people who would embrace that, you know, um, and would be willing to to kind of go there um, because um, I mean, we don't go to the whole, we don't go so far where it's just like the cult of the self or like almost like a kind of uh, you know, the sovereign individual, it's what's what's that term, is it solipsism or something? Uh, we're, we're basically yeah. you, you are the the center of the universe type thing. That that's not where we go, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we we see the value in groups of people, and I mean, even at a practical level, what we've talked about a lot in the past and uh, written about and stuff is the idea of communities and and setting up communities to to live together according to a set of uh, values, effectively that are shared, you know. So it's not about one individual, um, but I think it is about the idea of. Um, Kind of throwing off the the kind of programming or the the belief systems, etc., that have been foisted on us as human beings in this kind of modern, somewhat largely dystopian society. You know, that is the product of thousands of years of monotheism. That, as we were just describing, is very limited in its ability to really um, fulfill the needs. As are, are the deeper growing and growing needs of of certain types of people. Obviously, they fulfil the needs of quite a lot of people, but there's some people who it's no good for them anymore. And the problem is, this world doesn't offer anything else. I mean, it's like right. that's what's available. And if you want to get, if you want to dump all of that, if that doesn't fit with you anymore, if it doesn't uh, float your boat anymore, it's just not enough. Well, what have you got? I mean. And I hear I'm including, you know, even Eastern religions and mystery traditions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think a lot of them, in terms of the kind of searching that we're talking about, none of them actually fulfill that kind of a need for more. Like uh, that, that, like as Neil was saying, people who really never seem to uh, get to the bottom. They always want to know how deep the how, that the or believe that the rabbit hole goes deeper. You know, this ain't the end. It goes somewhere else and keep on going. You know. Um, and and like I said, that isn't on offer, and so it puts you in a kind of a difficult position where you have to kind of make something up yourself, or or develop a new set of a new uh, a new th- you know theology, a new cosmology, whatever you want. You know, you have to almost a new list of commandments, Joe. No, well, no, no. I mean, it can't be a list of commandments. You know, it has to be something much more inclusive and uh, much more nuanced. That matches the need or the ability more to the point, the ability of these kind of people who are searching in this way uh, 
that matches their ability to understand and to want to understand and to be able to accept uh, the kind of nuances, the complexities, the yes and no, the grey area, the maybe it is and maybe it isn't. It is both things at the same time. You know, it depends. All of that kind of stuff, where you're where you're able to deal with that kind of uh, uh, complexity of, of of the world of, of and how the world works, and of course that just that idea of being able to deal with complexity expands out to all areas. While you're in this world, it expands out. Not it's not just in terms of a spiritual seeking, but it invo- it will naturally um, influence your your investigations into stuff that happens in the world. You know, if you, I mean, as everybody should be, uh, they should be inv- interested, uh, intensely interested in what's happening in this world. Because remember, if it's true that these kind of people that we're talking about uh, are the kind of adults becoming, if you know what I mean, spiritual adults in, in, in process, uh, then what you need to do at that point, if if from a spiritual perspective, you're kind of um, you're at that stage of like an adolescent who is about to go out into the world and and, and figure 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 out for themselves or you know uh, becoming kind of more independent. That the process that that adolescent goes through, a, a normal adolescent goes through, is they start to learn lots of things. They learn more and more. They go out and have experiences and they adopt more and more experiences. Uh, the process from a spiritual adolescent point of view for that is. Uh, being intensely interested in everything that goes on in the world, or as much as possible. Okay, people will have some interests that are more specific than others, but in general, a group of people like that would be intensely interested in the world around them, trying to figure out what it means. What you know, and they would be uh, they would be delving into the nuances of mm. it. They wouldn't be just seeing Saddam, bad man, uh, George Bush, good mm-hmm. man. They'd be hanging on what's going on here. You know, yeah. what their parents told them wouldn't be enough. Right. And extend that now mm-hmm. from the young adolescent to the, to the spiritual adolescent. What their authority figures told them isn't enough. Isn't satisfying. It, it me. doesn't. It feels wrong. It's like, well, I, I don't get it. You know, uh, that doesn't jive with me, basically. And and even there's a sensory organism or sensory apparatus being developed there that knows that that's bullshit. That sees it. That just it's mm-hmm. like that's not true. I'm not a child anymore. And I mean, I've said we've said, how many times have people said that? Not just us. But the propaganda that comes out of the Western world in particular towards the Western populations is so crass and puerile. It's like they're treating you like children. I mean, people often ask, they think we're idiots? No, they're treating you like, treating you like children. Mm-hmm. I.e. they're saying, the boogeyman is under your bed. You, you need to run to mommy and daddy when you see the boogeyman. Or when mommy and daddy tell you that the boogeyman is under your bed or in the closet, you need to run and act and, you know, I mean, they, they they manipulate you as children. And people, some people, maybe the people I'm talking about that say, do they think we're we're we're, we're idiots? I.e., do they think we're children? Those are the people who who don't see it, or or who who see it and and aren't children anymore. You know, are are growing up a little bit, have that spiritual apparatus of being able to see behind the bullshit, like and and see beyond black and white. But there's so many people there who never ask that question. You can imagine in the U.S. and in and, and the West and stuff, at the time anyway, there was probably a majority of people were like, did not ask or did not question the rhetoric about uh, Saddam's a bad man and we need to get him because we get bad men because we're the good guys, remember? Loads of people are like, 
Yep. Darn tootin'. Gotcha on that one. I and, believe that. I know that. And those um, devout believers, because they have a personal relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ, those among them who said, darn tootin', yeah, already, going by what you just said before, you said the spiritual apparatus of seeing the world as it is, are you more or less categorically discounting that they have any actual right, spiritual they grown apparatus? In the same they way, haven't grown it. In the same way a child... But they believe they do. Well, I can believe what I want. A kid, believes in, a, kid, a kid believes in, in Tooth Fairy and, and, and Superman and Santa Claus. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, a child, a normal child, believes in those things. Uh, and they, they'll even go out and they'll see it. I, I think I heard... Uh, I think I heard sleigh bells on Christmas Eve. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I think I heard uh, Scud missiles coming from Iraq, aimed at Britain, mm-hmm. aimed at the UK. Mm-hmm. Forty-five minutes, you know. Um, it's it, they don't have it, you know. It's just they haven't developed it. But the process—I don't know what de- I don't know what causes that development. We know what causes human normal human physiological development, right? Well, do we? Yeah, it just happens, right? There's some genetic. <laughs> programming that causes a child to grow up to, for their brain to develop for their organs to develop for their body their bone structure to develop and they become an adult is there a genetic uh, component or program that causes a similar development uh, on, on a spiritual level with human beings the same human beings but not all of them um, you know at different times for different people but there's, there's a spectrum there and that that spiritual development uh, provides those adults. It's usually with uh, it usually happens with adults with abilities like no longer being able to just accept the black and white bullshit story and realizing there's nuances, realizing the complexities, and being able to even even one of the abilities would be being able to question your authority without and, and, being afraid, without ter- being terrified. Mm. of doing that, like discounting that uh, a priori because it's not something I'm ever willing to do. Uh, are there, is there kind of uh, spiritual apparatuses that, that develop in that way that, and that's the example of them in the same way physical, the, a child develops physically and becomes stronger, becomes, develops a, a, a bigger brain, is able to go out into the world, you know, leave the closet environment of the family home and go out and, and, and venture further and further from the house, go out into the woods on their own and be, feel safe enough to spend a bit of time in the woods on their own. Is there a correlation there? Is a, 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 you know, a, a similar process that happens spiritually mm. and has similar effects. And we just maybe described one of the ability to not always rely on authority, be able to question authority, even dismiss authority, and be able to see beyond the black and white answers. Be able to, be <clears throat> able to, be able to deal with in their brain and in their, in their minds, in their hearts, in their emotions, whatever, be able to deal with, uh, I mean, there's a, that phrase of some philosopher person said that the, uh, the the evidence or um, evidence of a, an evolved or developed or a I don't know if he said genius but a smart person basically or a well developed mind I think he said 
was the ability to hold two opposing views in your mind at the same time. Right? Yeah. Uh, and sit with the discomfort of realizing that, that one or the other <coughs> can't be right. Or both can be true to, so, both to some extent. both can be true from some extent, perspective. From other perspectives, yeah. But I'm not there yet, but I may grow into that perspective. Right, or I can do that, even be able to do that, but most people can't do that. Can't accept it. I mean, that's why they get into black and white thinking. I'm for the blue team or the red team. If I'm with the blue team, I hate the red team no matter what, and that's it, you know? Uh, if I'm America, I hate Al-Qaeda, or I hate Russia. If I'm an American, Russia's bad, you know? No, no possibility to say, well... Let's look at the details and see what's going on. Stuff basically that we have talked about on on this radio show repeatedly and written about repeatedly in, in terms of trying to point out to people the nuances of the situation, the history of the situation, the complexity of the situation, and to ask them to go there and work it out for themselves. And a lot of people can't and won't do that. And it's not because they don't have the brain power. It's because there's something else that's missing. It's not brain power because I know very smart people who can't do this. Otherwise, very smart people, very people who are engineers, who who have no problem in, in managing their life, but cannot go there with ideas of uh, too complex ideas, and particularly ideas that question or would tend to suggest that their authority, their chosen authority figures, or their the authority thing, figure they were born with or they chose, is perhaps not working in their best interest. They cannot do it. They just don't want to talk about that. And I mean, I've said this before on a few occasions. One person in particular openly told me, a a very intelligent uh, person, otherwise intelligent, told me that when I tried to suggest something like that, that the the, the team that he was voting, that he was uh, uh, supporting, basically, i.e. his geopolitical perspective, the team that he had thrown his lot in with or had been born into and was therefore a member of and had adopted a worldview and this authority was the good one and he had bought into that. Uh, he told me that any suggestion from me that that wasn't the case, that it might even be the opposite, hurt his brain. <laughs> well, Joe, He's the not way stupid. You he sounds... it makes it sound spiritually sound hard. <clears throat> it makes it, it sound makes, what? It makes spirituality sound like, a, like work. Well, it is. I mean, <laughs> but it's kind of thing that you just grow into. I mean, in the same way, you know, growing pains, right? I mean, adolescence mm-hmm. is, 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 I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I don't remember it very well, but I'm pretty sure that my adolescence was a kind of f- fairly traumatic time, you know, just in terms mm-hmm. of that transition period from childhood to being more of an adult. And it takes a while. It's not just uh, one day to the next. It's over a, a period of time, but it's, I mean, it's classically known. It's classically um, it uses a classic example of, of a period that's that's fractious. You know, that's that's fraught with all sorts of uh, difficulties. You know, not just for the adolescent question, but for anybody who comes in contact with them. You know, particularly parents <laughs> and stuff. You know, so uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just interesting to look at it from that analogy. And I think the most important part is that it's these kind of this ability. It does the argument for there being some kind of um, spiritual, uh, I don't know, apparati or apparatuses or, or I don't know what you call them. I mean, it's, obviously we're not talking about something physical here, but uh, the argument for that, for there being that, 
or for what we are calling, we're defining it as spiritual development because it seems to be something that is necessary and it's something that has caused a lot of... The, the lack of it is something that is uh, exploited in this world. Like we're saying, people who don't have that ability to think in nuanced, uh, more complex ways and go there and deal with it and, and explore it, uh, the people who, who can't do that tend to want to think in black and white terms and they are ripe for exploitation by authorities because they are very kind of knee-jerk and they are easily manipulated in the same way a child can be easily uh, scared, you know? Uh, like, the <laughs> I don't know what came into my mind, but, you know, a parent threatening a child with, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to call the police. And the child would be terrified and say, oh, jeez, don't call the police, please. I'll do whatever you want to do, call the police, you know. Or they'll shoot call, me. Or, yeah, exactly, they'll shoot me, they'll taser me. Or, which is which is probably a reasonable conclusion. It's actually quite a developed conclusion for a child to have at this time. But um, <laughs> uh, but anything like that, some simple basic threat, that if the child, in 10 years' time, that child as an adolescent or uh, even an adolescent or an adult would see that, would, would be able to see and say, yeah, right, whatever. I know we can't call the police because I haven't done anything wrong and the police aren't going to come and, and take me away. You're just using that as a threat, you know? Um, so the ability to see that, to, to, to go there and, and not have black and white thinking, not, not only engage in black and white thinking and see the nuances of the situation, I mean, those are... The thing is, those are the qualities of authorities that people look to. People who tend to just black and white thinking, they look to authorities for the ability to work out the nuances in the complex situations. So people, ordinary people, ordinary citizens who can do that, it stands to reason that they would no longer necessarily need an authority in their lives if they can do the job of the authority themselves. That fundamental job, which is to handle the big stuff, the complex stuff, work out you know, the international peace, peace treaties, get down and hash out, you know, this or that or the other, or work out how this country is going to deal with this country in all the different complex ways. And, and, to, and to be able to read situations and read people and see what's behind the kind of, behind the curtain type of thing, you know, all of that perceptive ability, if you start developing that yourself, you're not going to want or necessarily rely on, on an authority uh, to do that for you. And especially when, along with that ability to read the complex nature of reality, you are also, along with that, able to see that the authority are a bunch of, is, a bunch, is made up of a bunch of psychopaths who, who mm -hmm. do actually go against your own personal values that they, in fact, they have been promoting for so long. Freedom and democracy, you suddenly realize it's not freedom and democracy. It's death and destruction. Not only do, am I able to see that, so these, this, these authorities are discredited immediately, but I don't, actually, I don't have the fear of discrediting them or I don't have the fear of going there because I, to some extent, can be my own authority in my life. I don't need them to tell me whether or not I should get the flu jab. Because I can figure it out myself whether it's good or not for me. I don't need for them to tell me what food I should eat, what food is healthy for me, because I can work it out myself. I don't need for them to tell me Russia is an existential threat to America, because I know that's a load of bullshit, because I can look at the situation and see it myself. We are able to do all that. But we don't realize that so many other people on this planet cannot do that. Because well, Joe, I've of got the a question about you know? that. Yeah, I've got a question about that. But first, uh, I think we've got a caller, so I think we'll take that. Um, so, caller, you're on the line. Oh, you're on the line. Uh, oh, turn, hello, oh, turn. Mute us, please. Mute us, please. <laughs> hello, can you hear me? 
Yes. Yes. Well, this is Stephen from Orlando. Hi, Hi Stephen. Hello. Hi, Stephen. Did you guys did you guys hear about the uh, mass shooting? We did. I just yes. Yep. Well, this is uh, this is where I live at where this happened. Whoa! Are they um, far away? Uh, no, I live in Orlando, bro. Right, but you're not like I know next, that you're not next door. I know. No, no, no. I'm not next door, but I used to live close to that neighborhood actually, where that just happened at. So, uh, anyway, um, you know, get onto your topic about spirituality. Um, you know, what you're talking about is this uh, this inability to uh, get outside of the dominant uh, propaganda. You know, this black and white like. The, here's an here's a major idea like this can be this can be put in a synopsis. United States is the greatest power that's ever existed. We are a force for good. We represent democracy, people's strivings, uh, private property, the ability to uh, as an individual, the ability to be just like the to reach your potential as an individual. Mm-hmm. So that's the dominant paradigm. America. That's the dominant paradigm. And, um, you know, from my experience, um, I don't believe that people really believe this kind of black and white and they fall into this. It's it's there's a there's a seed of doubt somewhere in their psyche that they know they're that they know they're they're just like supporting a political line. And I think that the majority of people actually kind of view it like that. But then the question is. When you step outside the dominant paradigm, are you prepared to like experience the consequences of what you what you believe and in, in articulating what you believe? Right. Are you are you prepared to actually be punished economically? And you could be shunned by the community, you know. So um that's kind of what I've experienced here in the United States. Um I'm an articulate, I'm an articulate person. Um I'm an advocate for swamps. And um, not not polluting our environment. But what I found, you know, I got in this this kind of naively. What I have found is that um, people people participate in the larger like cycles of pollution, like with respect to their landscape. That that's in my industry. It's not that they don't know better, but to, if you're if you say like you're middle class or upper middle class, and you go outside of uh, putting chemicals on your lawn and just using huge amounts of water just to maintain that green carpet. If you do something different, your lawn's, your lawn's going to start looking brown, right? right? So you live in a neighborhood, people are going to be driving by your place and going, wow, what's up with the, uh, what's up with the Joneses like over there, man, look at their lawn. It's horrible. Right. <laughs> so even though, I mean, I mean, this is actually what I experience when I'm dealing with people and this is part of me my not being able to uh, become uh, economically uh, stable has to do with a lot of factors, but a lot of it is just a, an incredible fear of just really thinking about like what you do in your own home environment, your immediate vicinity, what you do to make it uglier or, or maintain it, it as being healthy, et cetera. So I'm dealing with people, the general public, and how they interact with this. And what, one thing, I, I just mentioned this as an aside, but I think it's pertinent. One thing that I've experienced is that 
if you're a man and you go out and you use a chainsaw and you do tree work, right? You cut down tree, this and that. There's a kind of he-man like patina about that whole occupation. But if you advocate like, hey, you know, preserve these flowers, don't use herbicide, you know, and then you like, look how beautiful these flowers of this species. If you if that's your line, you're automatically effeminized in mm. a way. You mm-hmm. you, and it's just it's so deep in the culture. I, I'm I'm I, I don't really have the capacity to like really articulate it, but this divide between like. You know, liking nature, preserving tree. Oh, that you're a pussy. You're feminized as a pussy. But if if you're on the side of the he-man, the male, you're out there just cutting trees all day. You're making seven hundred a day. You're doing well. You're a great provider for your family. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like it's it's just really wild. But I think it's important to look at those core distinctions when we're trying to analyze like a way to go forward with this, because. I'll say this as well, and I'll leave it at that. The, these people that put all these chemical fertilizers monthly and they, they're on that track, deep down they also know that they're helping pollute the environment. So I try to be very generous with people because people are like these big industries that fuel the information and the cultural habits of like using all these chemicals to maintain green lawn. These are so these are deep, decades long deep in our culture. It has to do with science how we view progress, but there's a massive contradiction because obviously these practices create, you know, huge algae blooms, you know, it's ugly. So people know this, but like the big challenge for me is like, how do you do something different to go forward that doesn't alienate these people that are, that are, they, they, they engage these pathological habits out of fear and their, their part within the system of like, wealth actualization and security mm. so like it's it's really this is the this is the challenge that we face right is how do we get people together you know and and i think there has to be an economic component to it at the root for there to be real like change that goes on for the better but yeah. um anyway just just let's, i'm gonna get off the phone but uh i was woke up today my friend told me that this attack happened in orlando and the weird thing is there was a young lady, a beautiful young lady, um, who was a voice singer of some sort. And she did a, yeah. she did a thing over there in Orlando. And this guy traveled like a hundred mile just to go kill her. And that happened a, a couple of days before the shooting last night, you know? Right. I, so it's yeah. just a weird. I think it happened on the same day, didn't it? Wasn't it the same uh, day? Or but very close. Yeah, close. Probably close to it. But that's just a real, real weird vibe that we have to deal with. Um, yeah. I've had my own, own stereotype about um, homosexuality and all that. That, but um, I met a lesbian couple as a client, and um, they adopted a daughter, and I and they're one of my clients, and they're just like beautiful, beautiful people, and that helped, like that helped, like me temper some of or get through some of my homophobia. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they're beautiful people, and. Uh, it's a huge tragedy, but you know the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the line now. But the sad thing is that you know there's going to be people that come out and try to say that this was a government, um, you know, a totally a government set up thing. Mm-hmm. You know, mass shooting and all that. And and you know what? The, the possibility that's true. But man, when you when you hear that just put out there, that's kind of like if it's not if that's not correct, you know, that's a lot of poison being put in the public mind about stuff. That, that helps keep us confused. You know what I mean? Right. 
Well, either way. Anyway, hey, hey enjoy y'all. Hey, God, I, I, God bless y'all. Take care. All right, right Stephen. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, on that, yeah, I was going to say them either way. It's uh, it's uh, on that event. That's not the thing that's going to poison people. What's poisoning people is that they've named the guy and he's Muslim or he's got a Muslim sounding name. Yeah. Just a little, a little work over. I mean, his question of whether or not. If it's some kind of government, false flag, whatever, or if it's not, it doesn't matter. The result is the same. These people hedge their bets if there's anybody behind it. I mean, it's, it's again, it's a good example of this nuance thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, even in the conspiracy community and stuff, you know, it's like black and white, it's actors, it's whatever, it's government conspiracy theory. Uh, I mean, the, the guy can have been, if he's a product of society, put it this way, was that shooting in Orlando... Uh, can you track it ultimately back to the government? Uh, if the government, i.e., and when I say government, I mean successive governments in the U.S. since George Bush and before it, George W. Bush and before him, uh, if they have, which they have, and obviously this if isn't really a genuine if, they clearly have waged successive wars against, uh, against uh, Middle Eastern countries, and as part of that process, they demonized Muslims. Uh, and made Muslims out to be terrorists, and also killed a lot of Muslim people in other countries. If this guy who did the shooting in Orlando did it on his own and was motivated to do it, because at least in part because he has watched a lot of uh, Muslim countries being bombed and Muslims in, in Middle Eastern countries being killed, if, if that was his reason, is it not then uh, a government operation, if only ind indirectly? I mean, for me, it doesn't make any difference at this point. If I mean, they can either, you can have Muslims who, who just go crazy and, and go postal, as they say, and kill a bunch of Americans for that reason that I just described, or you can have a government who sets someone up to do it, you know, kind of the FBI kind of terror plots who kind of grooms some guy and works him up and gets him to join Al-Qaeda or something and then gives him weapons and tells him to go here and then they go along with him and make sure it all happens and the end result is a service of this, this successive American government's uh, policy of ramping up the fear factor and the hate factor in the US and then there's no difference, you know? But that's a kind of... That's too complex for a lot of people, and people don't want to go there because they want to believe in good guys and bad guys. And this guy was up. But there's one point on that that has come out. I mean, almost immediately, it was a lone shooter. Before they even had his name, he was a lone shooter. But at the same time as they were putting out the lone shooter thing, it was being carried in in in, in the media, Western media, and uh, in the U.S. press. Uh, they had headlines, lone shooter, and then they had uh, comments from eyewitnesses saying there were definitely two people there. Guy, guy saying it was like a shooting range. I was, this guy was in the, in the club and was watching it happen and said he saw two people shooting in the same article that has a title, Lone Shooter. So what, they just totally discount eyewitness reports? Yeah, of course they do. And he wasn't the only one. Other people saying there must have been two people because it was like a shooting range and it was going off like pow, 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 pow all over the place. Uh, They're anyway. saying 50 dead now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's. I don't know where they're going with this, but anyway, uh, yeah. 
I mean, it, it, for me, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, uh, like I just said, I mean, the, the actions of U.S. governments, and when I say U.S. government, I should really just say the U.S. government because it's really like some behind-the-scenes intel agencies, CIA, who have been running the U.S. for a long time, corporations, whatever. Uh, it, for me, it doesn't matter um, whether it's false flag or whatever because they have created the conditions both in America in terms of the kind of uh, security state structure and the police state structure and the, uh, the power of, of intel agencies, they've created a situation inside the country where it's possible for uh, government security agencies to carry out some kind of a, an attack and blame it on whoever they want. And they've also created a situation among people minorities within the US where you would where you where there are people within those minorities who would be willing to go and do this kind of thing because of the policies of the same uh, US government. So either way, take your pick. Doesn't matter. Result is the same. And that's their point, the result is the same. I think that when you look at what you're talking about, Joe, about the conditions, the society that we're living in right now, or the societies, I guess, in the West, um, you know, this stretches back just decades, if not centuries, and these kinds of same kinds of conditions have been, you know, popping up again and again. Uh, and, you know, when people, you know, you say that you don't really care whether it's a false flag or not, you know, I can totally understand because when you look at the the way that the, you know, the West quote-unquote, won the Americas, colonized South America, um, you know, butchered Native Americans, and then today still try and, you know, just blame it on plagues and epidemics. Right. And just gave pretty much lip service to, um, you know, the, the pain that was visited upon millions upon millions of people and then, you know, enslaved the hundreds of thousands of people and and then, you know, just carried on with their imperial uh projects through world wars and through you know the conquering of you know the philippines and the hawaiian islands and and then all the way up you know and then we get reagan for president and he goes over to libya and murders Gaddafi's daughter and then proclaims it's because in retaliation for a terror attack that they had absolutely no evidence for and then you know all the way up to today through all the everything that's going on in south america i mean for a long time people in the West have allowed these things to happen and formed sort of a symbiotic relationship with that maybe you could yeah, say a symbiotic relationship with psychopaths in power where it seems like the underlying thing is as long as America is great again or as long as, you know, France is great or as long as the economy is running and, you know, we don't really, it's not such a big deal if JFK gets assassinated. You know, this is just kind of how things go. Like you said, you know, we're all pretty much children. The authorities will... Um, you know, they're the ones who have to handle the big things. But I mean, this it's mm -hmm. been this sort of symbiotic relationship that has evolved and has this full force that's, you know, kind of seems like it's heading off a cliff at any moment now. So, I mean, these days we're just we're just seeing history unfold and mm -hmm. as tragic and as violent and as ugly as it is. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So saying 50 people killed and they're still saying one person, one person, 50 people in a nightclub. Really? Anyway, wow! That wants to just be left hanging. Oh. I mean, that's probably. I think that's the biggest single shooter death toll in probably in U.S. history. Probably, yeah. Yeah, uh, single shooter, fifty people. Jesus Christ! That's. I, I mean, but people will swallow that. I mean, people just have no idea. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing, unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that... Were you going to say something, Neil? No, go ahead. Unfortunately, um, this is the kind of thing we have to deal with, but it's part of, like we were saying before, uh, developing that spiritual organ, let's say, uh, that is part of a real spiritual, as we understand it anyway, of real spiritual evolution, what real spirituality entails, uh, is exploring and understanding, exploring and seeking to understand uh, the reality in which we live and the nature of the reality in which we live and what's behind it. And that's why things like what's really happened at the shooting plays into that, you mm. know? Because, I mean, one guy goes in and shoots them all. That's the story. But when you have the ability to think about that and say, that sounds implausible. Uh, but most people might say, that sounds a bit crazy, but they'll forget about it because almost instinctively they know that if I go any further with this, I'm going to have to start maybe thinking, that there was some kind of a setup here which ultimately will possibly implicate the government or some section of the government which immediately threatens my sense of security in terms of the, an authority, the authority that I live under in my life, not having my best interests at stake. That is terrifying to me. And that process that I just described happens within a split second in a person's mind. It doesn't even happen in their mind really. It's kind of like emotional or it's intuitive and they automatically understand where that's going to go. And if you bring it up, they'll say, no, I don't want to hear about that. That's bullshit. Crazy conspiracy theory. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Go away. Leave me alone. Yeah. My brain. Ignorance hurts. is strength. Right. Ignorance is strength. Yes. So it's not helped by the fact that people who are a little bit further along and they are prepared to go some places are still in um, <clears throat> quite a undeveloped stage right. because they then take a hard and fast line right. and well, say do, it's all actors well, they do black or and some white. crazy thing. They're kind of deviants in a certain way. They're, they're aberrations or something where they've, they've, <laughs> they've had kind of like accelerated growth, uh, you know, and at the wrong time or something and they haven't developed the proper, uh, you know, organs or abilities to kind of deal with it. And they end up just going black and white. I mean, these guys who just do, you know, actors and all that kind of stuff and take ex- conspiracy theories to an extreme, uh, they're just as bad as the people who believe. Yeah. They have, think in the same way as the people who say, no, this was the next, a, a single shooter and that's all there is to it. The, the next stage is to um, call call things as you see them and not be invested in it. Mm. Because then you won't take it all the way to the extreme of there was a group of alternative websites, people who got together and decided to sue the uh, county in Connecticut where Sandy Hook was mm. for lying and for, right. I mean, they took it all the way to this level. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we want disclosure, we want the full facts right, and so on. Um, yeah, so, I mean... Because they're so invested in blowing the whole thing wide open. Right. And it can't be done in the way they're thinking. No, it has to be it has to be approached very carefully and gradually and keeping an open mind all the time with the, the idea being the nuances. They're, you know? they're invested in restoring their authority figures. Right. Taking the country back. Right. And, and they go deeper and deeper and, and that they end up becoming pathological entryways for, uh, as suggested by the caller, poisoning people's minds as it doesn't help others who are alarmed by it, maybe have questions about it. Mm-hmm 
to be confronted with an Alex Jones type ranting and raving at them about how the government did this. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so it's this kind of thing that um, unfortunately is part of, at this point in history anyway, these, this kind of shooting that is part of our, uh, our the process that we're engaged in of, of exploring the world and figuring it out and finding out what's behind the scenes and looking at the, the fabric of reality in as much detail as possible, um, which expands the whole thing wide open, if you know what I mean. It busts it wide open. It, op- it opens everything up and increasingly creates a kind of a, you know, a, lets you into a, an awareness of a more, more increasingly complex nature of reality. And it seems that you need a particular kind of type of organ or sensory organ, whatever, to be able to deal with that because that level of complexity can be quite scary to people who are used to or have come from a place where they were always, um, you know, swaddled in a in, in clothes of, 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 of simplicity or black and white uh, or simple, you know, God is, God is in his heaven and all is right with the world and, you know, just believe and everything will be fine and your government's looking after you. All very simplistic, you know, uh, a simplistic uh, take on the situation to go from that to something that just opens it all up and involves many nuances and things that you have to figure out yourself. A lot of people, it's just a matter of being able to do that or not being able to do that. And the problem is that the the, the function or the ability of, to be able to deal with that is something that is intern, kind of internal and uh, not very tangible. It's not something you can measure necessarily except by meeting people who think in the same way that you do are able to think in the same way as you do. It's not something you can measure with a, a medical prosthetic uh, uh, device or prosthesis or anything. So, um, but it's, and it seems to be, a big part of it seems to be developing a kind of a, a an ability, uh, an emotional ability in a certain sense. Because a lot of these things that uh, happen a lot of the things, uh, a lot of the mechanisms by which people are kept uh, um, in the kind of black and white thinking mode is um, through shocking them in an emotional way, you know? Um, so, I mean, a child can be easily shocked by just shouting boo at it. I can be even traumatized by it, you know? An adult, in theory, wouldn't be uh, so traumatized by, by someone just shouting boo at you, you know? Um so it's that that development of the ability to handle or um, to handle more complex emotions, more even even traumatic emotional situations without falling apart or fleeing back into denial. You know, accepting uh, the situation because it seems that it, you know when you we start investigating reality and life and uh, the complexity of it and the the darker side of reality and stuff, it does affect you emotionally. You know, you can just look at it and read about it and have no has, has no effect. But obviously, it does have an effect. But it's not on your mind necessarily. It's it's on an emotional level. And some people, it seems that you know, their development of whatever emotional organ exists, it's either quite uh, primitive, or quite underdeveloped, or it's more developed. And that seems that development seems to be correlated with an ability to accept diversity, nuances, complexity. Uh, and open yourself to that, and not flee in terror back to the into the the arms of 
some authority that will say, don't worry about it. You don't need to think about that. We've got it all handled. So, <laughs> well, right. maybe we can maybe we can wrap it up. But I wanted to ask one final question, kind of bringing it back to just the overall topic of the show: what is the real meaning of spirituality? I think that in general, when people hear that word, they think of it as something that um, it's kind of just a, a general um, human. Uh, practice or just an aspect of everyone's life. So, so spirituality it wouldn't necessarily be limited to to a certain group. It's like, well, what's a person's spirituality? Let's take any given individual and see, you know, how what's their approach to spirituality. Um, but if if what we're kind of getting at is that there seems to be these spiritual organs, these these apparatus within us that that need to to grow up and develop, and which don't develop in some people. Does that? How does that work with spirituality? Are only are only? Can we say only some people are spiritual? Um, how does that work? What do you think? I think only some people um, are spiritual in the true sense of the word, which suggests mm-hmm. for me it's. Deve- I mean, it's true human. For me, true spirituality is true human evolution, and. Mm-hmm. For me, true human evolution is the increasing ability to understand and know and investigate and open yourself to the uh, the obvious and incontestable, possibly infinite complexity of reality. When you look mm-hmm. at the average person's life and they are extremely closeted, they 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 do the same things over and over again. They get into habits. They get into very basic rituals, and they their lives are extremely, are closely kind of governed, and they're shepherded in certain ways. And and they do the same things over and over again. And they don't expose themselves to new experiences. They they set they 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 hit on a set of kind of experiences or routine fairly early in their adult lives, and then they repeat that until they die. And they do not. Uh, expose themselves, like I said, to increasingly, as you know, as, as often as possible, and, and seek them out, new experiences. Um, so people who do that, I would say, are more spiritually, in the true sense of the word, are evolutionary evolved, uh, or mm-hmm. on that path, further along that, that, that path than other people, who basically, if you, if you just looked at their lives, it's just like, same thing over and over again. They do five things every day. Over and over again. Every single week is exactly the same. It's a template of every other week. And they do that. And they even do that into their old age. Until, and very often, old age and death comes quicker to such people because their brains atrophy. Because their brains, at some level, go, uh, or some part of them that governs their existence goes, you know, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored with this. I'm, I'm not. I mean, the whole point of me being here was to have some new experiences, and I've been doing the same thing with you for 50 freaking years. And you know what? I'm calling quits. I'm calling time on this because I can see you're not going to change. You're not going to expose yourself. I've seen the t- situations where something's come along, and it's been an opportunity for you to break out and have a new perspective on something, and you have just stonewalled it every time. So you know what? Six feet under for you. <laughs> 
Well, maybe there's, maybe it's, it's, it's something like levels, like there are different levels of spirituality and it's just that the vast majority of people remain at like kindergarten and don't really progress very far at all. So they do have some sort of relationship, um, interaction with, you know, the wider cosmic universe. Right. It's just so limited. Right. I think it's it's not that, I mean, I don't think it's right to say that some people are spiritual and some people aren't, aren't everybody is on a spiritual path and that's uh, a function mm-hmm. of them being alive because they're all having experiences. And the person, like I just described, who goes through their life having the same experiences over and over again until the day they die and early death, um, that person allowing for reincarnation will come back and maybe will do something different in, in their next life. You know, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. expose themselves because of the experience of this life. They'll go, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. I mean, I suppose they could do the same thing over and over again for multiple <laughs> lives as they want, if they wanted. But ultimately, if there's no limit to the amount of kind of lives you can have, well then, um, you know, uh, eventually life experiences, life will throw things in your way and it's infinite kind of complexity and, and uh, variability. It'll throw something in your in your way that uh, will eventually kind of make you go, oh, that's new. I'm going to set you off on a different path. And so mm-hmm. everybody is on that path. It's just where are they on that path? So, yeah. and there are some people who are just taking the default kind of a, travelator uh, process where it's like automated and you're just going along and it takes a certain amount of time. There are other people who go, okay, for some reason I'm like, I have an idea that I got to fast track this. I, I want to go, you know, a bit faster. So I'm going to actively look for it. I'm going to actively put myself in the way of uh, experiences that are going, or, you know, some part of you is, is you know, attracting those into your life that uh, seem to push push that process along at a little at a faster rate you know and very often it involves mm-hmm. kind of suffering and painful experiences and stuff but um again those are those kind of painful experiences seem to be the ones that have the most effect on these organs that maybe everybody has but that are you know not very well developed in some and more developed in, in others and they have the greatest effect in terms of um I don't know, uh, enervating them or stimulating them and, and stimulating them to growth, essentially, you know. Um, to use an agricultural or horticultural analogy, maybe it's like a dose of, you know, fertilizer or something, like suffering, moments of suffering or pain or difficult experience in life or like uh, a bunch of fertilizers dumped on your, on your emotional <laughs> upper, uh, your emotional organs or whatever, you know, that, that make them grow a little bit, you know. And, and growth is painful, you know, I mean. Uh, and it makes you choose. You really have you have to choose to endure that for whatever reason, or to stop enduring it, or you are forced to choose because it's painful. Right. And I don't know where that goes, or, or what the point of it is necessarily. But it seems that um, that is the process that most human beings are on, because they're stuck here on this planet, and they have these experiences. And here I'm allowing for, obviously, I'm taking reincarnation as a given. Uh, so they're here on this planet and they don't seem to be going anywhere else. They're coming back over and over again. They're having the same set of experiences. And the thing, I mean, it's many people have said it, that adversity uh, is the is the real, is this, and what's, it, does, can anybody remember a, a good quote about adversity? Whatever, it's the idea being that adversity is, are, are hard, difficult con- conditions or when growth uh, mm-hmm. is most uh facilitated or, or accelerated it's not in the good times but in the bad times that people uh, really uh, change and develop and learn uh, so 
unless you're a complete nihilist and you think there's no point to existence at all and you're just here to do whatever, it seems that uh, given the nature of reality around us and the suggestions and hints that it's quite complex and there are things that are unknown to us at this point but might be able to be known, well then that all suggests that the point of you being here, at least one of the options, and it seems to be the most viable option of being a human being and having experiences, is to learn more about it. Because you start off, I mean, even take a child, the evolution of any child. I mean, sure, they develop physically, but equally, if not more important, is the fact that they develop in terms of their understanding and growth. They learn stuff. So it seems that the kind of prime directive for human beings on this planet is to learn stuff. Because otherwise, what is it? Well, otherwise, you can go with the otherwise if you want, which is just... Uh, do nothing, do something, do whatever, don't even think about it. But even then you're still learning, you know? Even basic experiences, you know? Uh, you know, I don't know. You never had a branch fall in your head, branch falls in your head. That's, you know, shit happens, yeah, but you've also learned something, you know? What it feels like to have a branch fall in your head. You might have learned how to patch up your head. You know, no matter what you do, it all serves learning. And we're... You can think we're victims of it if you want because we're just here and that's what happens to us. And you can be a victim of it if you see it as just happening to you. But there is an option to actually engage in the process and be a participant in the process and try and direct it to, uh, to the extent you can. You know, or you know, chart a course of your own making as much as you can see down the line. But uh, what else is there, you know? You can spend all your time in nightclubs but that sounds like a dangerous proposition these days. Yeah. Or any crowded area. In, any crowded area. In any city. Of course, that's what they'd like you to think, in part. But it's also partially true, as we think, because... Um, of serious environmental disturbances. Potentially wreaking havoc on... On large groups of people, I mean, it's not even potential anymore. Mm -hmm. You can see, you can see it happening in towns and cities all over the world. Yeah, all kinds of crises. You still there, Harrison? Yeah, we're here. Just mm -hmm. had a slight little technical error glitch. Yep. So yeah, um, yeah. Anything to add to that? Did you hear what I said? No, we missed a missed a lot of it. So. Oh, you did. We ended split. off on the on the adversity thing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And after that, I just said that basically life seems to be about uh, learning because it's the default uh, experience, whether you want it or not. You know, you're all here to learn. Mm -hmm. Things happen to you that whether you want to or not uh, make you learn. Even in an mm -hmm. extremely passive way, you can think about it as passively as you want. You know, like I use the example of you can just sit down and say, "I'm not going to participate in life at all. I'm not going to do anything." And thereby you're kind of saying, I don't want to learn anything because I'm not going to actually engage or interact with anything. Therefore, I'm not going to have any experiences or I'm going to limit my experience as much as possible. So, I mean, yeah, you can do that. You can go and live in a cave. But there might be a bat in there that craps on your head, you know? And then you're like, damn it. I just learned what it's like to have a bat crap on my head. You know, I thought I was here to not have any experience whatsoever. That's an extreme example. But what I'm saying is, obviously, just by being alive, you have experiences. So why not... Uh, you can just go along with the travel later kind of thing and let it happen to you, or you can try and interact with it and engage with it to a certain extent and choose to the extent that's possible, 
your experiences uh, and what you want to learn, you know? Mm-hmm. But you have to realize yeah, or even contemplate the idea that life is about learning in the first place rather than just somewhere to hang out and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. that's it. The there meaning of life. We got right. there. We got there. Finally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so enlightened. Eureka. <laughs> okay. Well... Well, we uh, we could do this obviously this topic to death. Um, it'd be nice if you know we had other people throwing in their their tuppence, their two cents uh, worth. Um, but maybe they think we said it all. I don't know if we said it all. I don't think we ever we ever do say it all. Uh, that's why we keep coming back. Maybe we can send more stuff. Um, but um, yeah, there's different different. Uh, it's not. It's not about defining it anyway. It's about uh, one person's definition can be the same as another's, but said in a different way. Mm. That is always interesting and adds something new to it. You know. Um, mm-hmm. So the idea that the like a true, hmm? but like a uh, like a like a good negotiator or like being a diplomat, you actually have to listen to the other person. Like the example we talked about earlier where people can have have pretty much the same belief on a deep level, but just let their, their kind of religious labels get in the way. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we actually just are open and, and hold those two conflicting ideas at the same time and try to, you know, find some common ground, I think that uh, it's a lot more healthy than just, you know, killing everyone that's not like you. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure what the... Of course, it's one thing to define, it's another thing to offer a solution. <laughs> what, what do we <laughs> That'll do? That'll be next week. Yeah, solution. Yeah, that's next a great week. idea. Solution. <clears throat> um, yeah. Well, it depends what what stage of development you're talking about. Right, that's the problem. I mean, for the people listening, the next step is to take what Joe just said and rather than go, uh-huh, I agree with that, Take it and go, okay, how can I make this real for myself? Mm-hmm. Is it real for me? Tinker with it. Is it uh, true? How would I Tinker describe it? it? See if it works. What, yeah. what examples do I have? What examples do I see in the world? Yeah. Is you it... know? Um, right, I suppose it's... It's a bit solipsistic. 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 But you need to now take these these truths that make sense to you and write your own Bible. No. Well, for yourself. (laughs) You're not allowed to start a religion. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I meant. You're you're rewriting your programming. Yeah. Your internal Bible. We have a call here. Let's just take it to see if we're... uh, To see if we're... uh, We've got anybody interesting. Do we have anybody interesting on uh, the air? Uh, good day, Joe. This is Ryan from Australia. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Uh, is there any feedback coming through at all? A little bit. A little bit. It's low. Okay. How's that? That's better. That's better. No, it's not. <laughs> I can still hear myself. <laughs> How's that? It's. I think it's lower now. 
Yeah, go ahead. That'll do. That'll do. Oh, uh, yeah. Just wanted to say that um, I found the conversation really interesting and uh, was really enjoying it. Um, got a lot of laughs out of it. Good and, um, yeah, very um, sort of similar to some experiences that I've been having sort of over the last year or so, just sort of coming to terms with that learning process, I guess, of um, sort of maturing and finding mm-hmm. out um, where I fit in life and, um, right. like, dealing with, like, complex situations that aren't sort of necessarily sort of just, like, rule-based sort of, mm-hmm. um, oh, I should always do this all the time in that particular situation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so um, yeah, it was sort of what what you guys were saying sort of really resonated with me. So I just thought I'd um, throw my two cents in there, and um, in case anyone else listening, just to um, to say yeah, that's uh, that's something that um, I found similar in my life, and um, yeah, maybe other people would find it similar in theirs. Uh-huh. What have you been up to, Ryan? Oh, uh, a lot. A lot. Um, they have lo- fun. A lot, a lot of learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, like fairly, a lot of fairly mundane things, just mm-hmm. um, like moving house at the moment, um, like um, organising job, a job. Um, uh, I'm currently a cabinet maker. Okay. And... Um, is that yeah, good? do uh, do a lot of uh, physical work compared to my previous job, uh-huh. which was um, fairly intellectual, uh, very mind orientated, using computers a lot. And uh, the I've found the physical aspect to be um, a little bit of a challenge because it's not something I've been used to. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's good for in you. a way. It's been really good because then it's it's kind of pulled me out of my got me out of my comfort zone a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's good to do the physical stuff because that kind of, um, especially when you're in a state where, um, you know, if you're a bit worked up or feeling, uh, you know, emotionally overwrought or something along those lines, um, <laughs> sorry, I could, I'm hearing myself again, but anyway, um, it's good to really push yourself i find it's good to really push yourself on a on a physical task and kind of exhaust yourself because that usually helps a lot with uh it's almost like there's an energy there that you're if, if you're getting worked up about something intellectually or emotionally or whatever that energy that's used to feed those kind of thoughts and loops and uh, emotional uh, navel gazing and worrying and uh, gets gets t- drained or taken up by uh, physical work. If you do a good, you know, day's work, and not only do you get rid of all channeled the outside of yourself, right? It's in, into something external and drains it from yourself, and also puts it into something productive, you know. So, yeah, yeah, I have, I have found that mm-hmm. it's um, it sort of uh, has a uh, look of. Feel sort of fairly balanced after a like a hard day's physical work, mm-hmm. um, uh, rather than sometimes uh, working with computers. Uh, it was like all day. 
I, my, it's like my body wasn't tired after the, at the end of the day. Um, but my mm. brain was, whereas right. now it's sort of, I feel like my body is tired at the end of the day and that helps my brain to be settled. Right. And that, um, can like, it, it's not quite as good for, um, for, for research purposes, like mm. trying to, trying to read books. Like sometimes no. I'll be so tired after work that, um, I won't sort of put the extra time into reading or, um, mm. um, or sort of reading articles on the computer or so. But, uh, uh, if I do do that, then it, like, I find that I can, I can concentrate quite well on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it's sort of, it's sort of like, um, the, it balance, it, it frees up the, the mental energy to be able to focus on those things better. Um, because it's not that energy isn't taken up by sort of like very, mechanical computer orientated work, which is all sort of like procedures based type stuff. Mm-hmm. That yeah. reminds me of uh, the difference between an exhaustion that is like, if you push through it, it's debilitating and bad for your system and an exhaustion that when you push through it, it is actually constructive for you mentally and emotionally. And I guess, you know, when you combine physical work or you're new to physical work, it sounds like that's the kind of exhaustion that when you push through on the mental level, it produces really positive results for you. Mm. Yeah. I have, I have been working at it for, uh, have been working sort of physically um, for a couple of years now. So I'm not a hundred percent, um, sort of new to, new to it, but, uh, I, I've, I've found that over the last few years that, that sort of, um, result fairly, uh, what the, that result has become fairly clear to me that that sort of pushing through the exhaustion to, to get a constructive result from it. Mm. Yeah. All if right. That makes any sense. Yeah, it does. All right, Ryan, listen, thanks for, uh, thanks for calling. It's good to hear from you. Oh, thanks very much, Joe. Uh, um, yeah. Um, you could, it's a great radio show. I really enjoy listening to it. All right, that's great. Listen to all you guys. Excellent. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. All right, cheers. Thanks very Talk much, to you guys. Again. You Hopefully, see ya. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. All right. Um, so, did we sort it all out, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Don, Don, move on. Well, that was a kind of big one. That was a bigger one. That was the biggest one, really. I mean, there isn't much left to... Any, there aren't many more um, big issues to tackle after. Uh, what is the meaning of life? Is it? Are there? Well, how how many angels can fit on the t- on a pinhead? Ah, uh, well, that 17. is yeah, yeah, seventeen and a half. Depends on how much they weigh. <laughs> much does if angel... I knew that, then then I'd be set. How much does an angel weigh? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah would they? Because angels are like super cosmic beings, but uh, with magical powers, so maybe their weight would be too much for the, the pin to support them. That's right. a good point. You should, I think you should write a paper, <laughs> maybe write a paper on that, Harris. <laughs> like, submit it to some biblical journal. They love it. They love it. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, hopefully next week we're going to have uh, 
We are going to be talking to someone we've talked to before on a couple of occasions, uh, Stefan Verstappen. Um, oh, good. Nice. You know him. He's uh, he's working on a new uh, a new book. He's done a couple of new videos, I think, about uh, the age of the warrior and the way of the warrior and what it is to be a warrior, uh, which probably might touch on some of the things that we've uh, discussed here, actually, but it'll come from Stefan's perspective. So uh, we're going to be talking to him, hopefully, uh, next week, uh, next Sunday. Cool. So um, tune in for that. It should be uh, should be interesting. It's uh, previous Our previous chats with Stefan, Stefan have always been uh, entertaining, so... Should be good. All right, guys. Um, it was great to talk to you, discuss stuff with you, as usual. Um, and, uh, yeah, so thanks to our listeners and to our caller, Stephen and Ryan, and our chatters. And we will be back next week, as I just mentioned, with another show to be announced on SAT.net. Till then, have a good evening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>